Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. Today we receive Kuhn de Smet. Kuhn is a director in a major consulting company and a specialist of treasury transformation projects. It was very important for Hussam and I to invite an expert in order to discuss the topic of today. In this episode, we talk about systems in treasury. Yes, what does that even mean, you may think? Well, we have the answers for you right here in this episode. Today, expect to learn what is a treasury system, why do corporations need a treasury system, what can be done in such a tool. We, of course, cover the main ones, treasury management systems that Hussam and I already talked about in this podcast, payment hubs, but also trade finance systems, and all kinds of specialized tools for very specific treasury-related tasks. Last but not least, we discuss integration of such systems and how to implement them. Kuhn really is impressive. He knows a lot about treasury in general, but also and obviously about systems, and it was a real pleasure to interview him today. Before we get into this fascinating episode, some small kind reminders. We published an ebook. If you were dreaming of finding a book explaining the ABCs of corporate treasury, well, do not search anymore. We got you covered. Head to the link in the description to download it, and the best part, it is completely free. Last but not least, if you like the podcast, or if you want to support us, or if you do not want to miss any of the episodes in the future, or all of the above, well, subscribe to the podcast. Oh, and you can give us a good rating in the meantime. That makes Usam and I very happy. And actually, it helps the podcast to be found more easily by other treasury aficionados. With all that being said, please welcome... Welcome to the podcast. Super happy to have you here. Thank you, Guillaume. Thank you. Also happy to be here. It's gonna be it's gonna be very exciting. So maybe before we get into uh, the topic, can you quickly introduce yourself for the people who might not know you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a uh, Kundesmet. Um, I'm a part of a treasury advisory team of a big four uh, consulting <laughs> firm. I'm a, I'm a director and I'm specialized, as I mentioned, in treasury advisory, mainly for corporate treasuries. Okay. And yeah, and within that, I'm uh, actually more helping corporates to transform their treasury organizations with specialization in treasury technology. Awesome, which is spot on because, so we talked about a lot of topics on this podcast already, uh, but we never talked about systems. And I think you're the perfect person for that. Can you, uh, to begin with, what's a system actually? When we talk, of course, of the financial world and in a corporation, what's a system? Well, a system is basically a, first of all, a, a repository of capturing transactions. And transactions could mean different. Uh, you know, the classical AB and AR uh, invoices, basically. Okay. Going until, you know, payroll records. But in Treasury, we, of course, talk about other type of transactions that are captured in systems. Okay. So AP and AR, just like, let's say people do not have any knowledge of what those could be. What are those terms exactly? Well, accounts payables, accounts receivables. Uh, everybody must have received an invoice uh, in his or her life. Yeah, uh, that is typically captured in an ERP. Uh, I use that as a kind of a example um, of why uh, systems are used in, let's say, corporate worlds uh, and for treasuries specifically. 
uh, a system is then used to capture treasury related transactions and data points as a first element and secondly to enable or to enable the digitization or digitalization of workflows within a system okay so digitalization is a super interesting topic why to, to begin with why is it important to capture those transactions what's what's beneath that well as an example eh, some uh, some of the corporate treasuries that we work with have let's say hundreds of bank accounts first of all okay um, so imagine that you are as an individual person having you know one or two bank accounts at maybe one or two one maximum two banks you can go mm -hmm. to two electronic banking systems and you can capture your account information there if you're a corporate treasury you basically have a plus hundred plus thousand some of the corporates bank accounts so ideally you capture that all in one system and you don't have to go to i don't know 20 different platforms to capture your bank account uh, bank statement information as okay. a as a first element okay and therefore you can capture correctly what's happening on those bank accounts and help you with driving your treasure exactly exactly wow. a second element for example is uh, a function of corporate treasury, um, which I'm sure you have covered already, is uh, financial risk management, right? Yes, it's okay. This one we have. <laughs> so Yeah, okay. And so the system, well, we're going to come to uh, financial risk management. The second point you mentioned was digitization. Um, well, obviously, the, that speaks by itself, right? A lot of corporations try to digitize their processes and so on. Why do you want to do so in finance and more precisely in treasury? Why you need digitization in Treasury? Yes. Well, just because of the vast majority of uh, transactions that a Treasury team is dealing with, mm -hmm. uh, which is quite large amounts of data and transactions to be dealt with, which is almost impossible or um, is very error prone and high risk if you do that offline, i.e. in an Excel. Um, secondly, a Treasury function is typically a lean and mean function, which is uh, not uh, stuff therefore um mm -hmm. being able to kind of uh, automate some of these elements in the system is a, is essential to be able to be to truly act as a value add function interesting okay so you'd rather have a system doing a lot of operation repetitive operations i guess rather than having somebody or numerous people doing it by themselves exactly yes yeah so to a certain extent automate what you can automate to avoid uh, somebody manually having to do a repetitive action that mm -hmm. essentially can be automated uh, or semi-automated in a workflow or a tool. Okay, and I imagine the bigger the company, the bigger the amount of bank accounts, as you mentioned earlier, so the more relevant becomes the systems in, uh, in Treasury. Exactly, yeah. There is, uh, that's what you see also with the, let's say, companies that are fast growing, that they've outgrown almost their Treasury yeah. function. Uh, that their treasury function is still operating as a, uh, let's say, a smaller or medium-sized company mm -hmm. uh, that suddenly then requires to catch up to be able to catch up with the company's complexity as such as well. Okay. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned earlier the financial risk as well. So I know I've read on LinkedIn sometimes people do not call it a treasury management system, but a treasury risk management system. What's the dimension of the financial risk here in the system? How does it help? So it will capture the transactions, right? When you do your hedges, for instance, but what else, what's in there? Yeah, so so it, it starts, of course, with um, exposure uh, risk management, exposure management, right? So ultimately, if you want to hedge, 
you need yeah. to understand what your exposures are and typically Absolutely. exposures are a fixed exposure so for an exchange that are arising from the balance sheet or off the balance sheet mm -hmm. secondly you have um if you have floating rate debt you basically have interest rate risk yes uh, that requires to be hatched um and some companies uh depends on the business of course also have commodity uh risk and those are your exposures as a number one secondly and then when you have exposures and you have a hedging strategy that defines that you want to protect yourself against market um, volatility yeah. you would hedge those and capturing those hedges and operating those trades would happen in a treasury management system awesome um so among all the terms you just mentioned we covered most of them in the podcast and um, i just like to come back on one you, you said exposure on and off balance sheets and you know, can you quickly walk us through that what does that mean yeah so basically on balance sheet uh, coming back to my very earlier point around ap and ar yes so that means as soon as you book an invoice uh, it's it's on your balance sheet right that means that it is a um, an exposure that is uh, that is out there that can be hedged off okay. balance sheet means a forecast of an expected let's say future sale or receipt okay um, we see for example companies in project related businesses doing a lot of cash flow hedging which is typically off balance sheet okay so Typically, what your show is going to happen will be on balance. I mean, in an ideal world where everything happens as it should, on balance would mean oh, it's an invoice that has been issued, so it will happen. And off balance sheet will be more, it's something that we predict, foresee, but it's not, I mean, the amount may vary. That's, uh, exactly. There's more uncertainty around that. So typically, you would see companies not 100% hedging their exposure, but rather okay. um, taking a bit more a prudent approach there. Okay, or gamble the, them out of it and hope for the better on the market. That's mm -hmm. also question, I guess. Okay, yeah. um, anything else in the role of systems in treasury? Because that was going to be one of my questions, but I feel we covered it uh, with the like reconciliation and recording of the transactions, the financial risk aspect of it. Anything yeah, else? Yeah, it's, it's of course the what I t briefly touched upon as well your funding and investments, right? So. Mm -hmm. Some companies have a shortage in cash, some have excess in cash. So Absolutely. that means uh, you need to be able to track your loans, your debt issuance, your investments that you put at banks, your money market funds. Okay. Um, that is all captured in treasury management systems. Last, lastly, there's also cash management. So basically, if you have those thousand bank accounts, um, mm -hmm. Which are then typically part of some sort of a pooling structure that needs to be tracked accordingly in a treasury management system. Yeah, and then you of course have um, your treasury accounting, right? So once you captured all those transactions, you need to account for them. Yes, uh, and that's then also operated by the treasury management system that, in most cases, serves as a sub ledger to the general ledger uh, to basically create the accounting entries and typically interface them to an ERP back again as well. Okay, so cool. that, that does sound a lot of fancy words. I, I love it. So th that's really clear. Just to summarize this, I would say that the system is just used to record and track everything so you can drive your financial decisions in the most efficient way. That's right. that good. Okay. Um, and regarding the treasury accounting, that's for some reasons. I don't really like it. Something we didn't cover in the podcast yet. Um, but so what is happening in here? So sub-ledger, general ledger, what do, what do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let me try to uh, try to explain that. So um, no pressure. If you, 
if you have a uh, if you have a let's say an uh, a forward an FX forward right that means yes. I'm buying and selling uh, a currency against another currency uh, at a future date right yes yes that means that that trade will of course uh, requires to be tracked uh, in your uh, in your accounting so for example at month end you would yes. do typically a mark to market right to understand what's the value of my forward right now today so you compare it to the rate that are currently on the market against exactly. the one you contracted it at. Exactly, without going into the details as to how to do that. Okay. That means that that, uh, let's say, um, unrealized profit and loss that yes. that trade will bear has to be booked and that gets booked at month end, typically by a treasury management system. And that's why okay. I'm saying a sub ledger because it only captures uh the treasury related accounting entries within its system and it will then interface those to the general ledger where everything else is captured your balance sheet your pnl and so forth that is then um tracked there accordingly super clear thanks a lot sorry that was a bit of uh, an unplanned question but super clear and the general ledger will be at the erp level i imagine or something like that. yes that is typically the case super clear does every company have a treasury related system or as of when do we have a treasury system well there's no golden rule as to um you know when you should get a treasury management system in terms of for example um uh, total turnover of a company right um, okay. let's say as of one billion you should get a system there's no such rule as that okay i think you need to look at your um complexity in which you operate yeah and then uh, that will define basically what are my broader treasury requirements or needs mm -hmm. and then that will then define whether you need the system or not right and it will also depend again on the volume of transactions and so forth okay here's an example if you have a company that purely operates within let's say a single country mm -hmm. just as an example taking belgium um and has just purely has transactions within belgium has no foreign exchange risk has yeah. only a handful of bank accounts a treasury management system might be overkill however okay. if the company starts to grow and starts to export and import from various countries and therefore has foreign exchange risk has bank accounts all over the world mm -hmm. then it becomes suddenly unmanageable to do that outside of a system and that would be then you know uh when the company would start requiring a system to to do things uh properly efficiently and without uh, reducing risk okay so it's not that much about the size of the company but about the complexity of its financial transaction operations however we mentioned as of when you start to have a lot of transactions and a lot of bank accounts i guess the bigger the company the higher the amount of those right so it's it can also be linked to that but it's more first criteria is more complexity of the treasury landscape than um than the actual sets. okay yep. um very interesting and is there yeah is there a moment where it becomes critical so you are in multiple war uh, multiple countries sorry you have fx uh, hedges or fx exposure at least that you might want to hedge you have bank accounts throughout the world different currencies um loans as you mentioned with variable interest rates and so on there it becomes critical to have a treasury management system yeah i mean that's that's every company of course to decide that uh amongst themselves uh, um i think if if indeed the if your company starts to you know 
outgrow your supporting functions, then your supporting functions probably need to grow with you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that that is again, there's no kind of uh, left or right answer here. It's it's more um, the companies to be evaluated themselves. You can basically you know increase your team with ten FTEs and yeah. still do it offline. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that those none of those ten FTEs will ever make a will ever make a mistake. While they can still make a mistake in the treasury management system, it mm -hmm. would be much more controlled, much more centralized, um, and so forth. So um, that I think is a each company to define it themselves. But typically, um, the answer is pretty obvious. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so not depending on the risk appetite here, but how they want to how far they want to automate the processes and how digital they want their landscape to be. Yeah. Very clear. Um, just a technical question on the treasury management system. Right. Systems related to treasury. How do they work exactly? Is it a license? Most of the people know about SAP, right, and Oracle. Um, but when it comes to systems in treasury, are we talking about um, software as a service? Are we talking about licenses now? How does it work exactly? What's, what's the process? So, similar to other systems, I think what we are seeing in the market is a mm -hmm. um, very big shift towards SaaS. And let me try to spell it in full. So, that software as a service. Um, and, and SaaS applications is more and more, let's say, the way to go. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, what you can get is a treasury management system. You could either, let's say, install what they call on-premise which is a bit what we saw 10, 15 years ago, where most corporates were basically installing that service on their own server sites, right? Okay. So to, uh, how ERPs were typically done. Now we are seeing a shift towards, and those are, let's say, option two and three, towards a private cloud. That means, uh, and those okay. that is often a term that is used interchangeably with, with uh, SaaS, but that's actually not correct. So private cloud is where a vendor a system vendor will host the application on their server sites, but you basically have a, uh, your own private application, let's say, at that, uh, at that vendor, uh, your own private database. Whereas with SaaS, you're basically are accessing a software and a solution that is also accessed by other corporates. Everybody has, of course, his or her part or his part of the, the database. Um, but it's it's um, it's all managed by the vendor. And the big difference is uh, system upgrades. In a SaaS application, an upgrade is done on the fly, basically over the weekend. Mm -hmm. In all the two other options I mentioned, on-premise or private cloud, that is done uh, as in, a, let's say, a mini project that, that requires um, specific handling because of the nature of, of, uh, of that deployment or installation. So, so you're now even anticipating my questions. Um, but so why would anybody go for the private cloud, sorry, <laughs> private cloud solution then? If you need every time to mobilize some resources in order to do this mini project, rather than having the software company just updating it over the weekend, why would you choose a private cloud? Yeah. There, there is some vendors and applications that basically are not yet offered as a SaaS solution. That's number okay. one. Basically, you don't have the choice. The most, the most important difference is a uh, the customize yeah, the configuration uh, and customization ability of mm -hmm. SaaS applications. There's a certain limit to that because you're all using you know the same software, the same okay. functions, and not everybody can 
kind of uh, get all their wishes in the system and customize <laughs> certain things or workflows because they're also used by other um, uh, okay. corporations, let's say. In a private cloud and an on-premise solution, you have much more flexibility there where you can basically get your own custom solutions mm -hmm. uh, in the system. Awesome. So it's about having a standard product that everybody uses the same version of or having it customized for. Is it something corporations seek a lot, a lot, sorry, like having something very tailored for the triggering function because of the complexity of it? Or what's the, what's the state of the market on that? The, again, there's a big evolution been done there that uh, mm -hmm. if you 15 years talk to a corporation, they will typically come with their requirements and kind of force fit the system of the vendor to meet those requirements and specific needs. And therefore, you would typically have more um, customizations because, you know, there is a certain process that needs to be uh, installed in a system and it's not standard and it requires uh, coding changes of the software. Okay. What we are seeing today is that um, a lot of corporations are very hesitant to get customizations in the solutions because that means if you do an upgrade later on, it becomes more, um, uh, yeah, there's more, there's more work, more cumbersome. Exactly, that was the word I was looking for. So that, that I think is a key thing, uh, um, and that's what we are seeing. That uh, more and more standard solutions are basically adopted by corporations that are offered by the vendor, and uh, processes are rather changed than trying to change systems. Mm -hmm. A second element is that, um, and that's mainly the bigger corporations, then if they have a specific need or requirement, they will try to sit together, uh, let's say, strategically with the vendor to get this into the core product. So basically, okay. the requirement in the core product, and then it's part of uh, the offering for everybody, which is, I think, the better way to go for it. Okay. So if you have negotiation strength, power, however we call it, uh, enough as a big, massive corporation, you can even... Yeah influence how the software is done. That's one, of course, your, your weight. But secondly, it's also the relevance of a certain requirement for other uh, corporations. If, okay. if the vendor sees value in this, they will for sure look into that to add to their core product. Which would make sense. OK. And so I'm jumping into the technicalities a bit, but it's been super interesting. But it's super interesting. The, um, would the solution not be to add some options into the standard products, and you just unlock those parts of the SaaS, if you pay more, or is that not something doable? So big corporations might actually just go to their vendor and ask for an additional option module configuration whatsoever that will be implemented into a standard operating of this vendor. If you have a SaaS, so something not, not a private cloud, could the company say, OK, everything is on SaaS, but if you want some customization, we have them accessible in an optional module, for instance, and you can just decide to activate them or not. Is that something that is possible, or am I completely out of? Not, not to my knowledge. Um, okay. But it's actually a good question. So um, you could then, you know, look into. I'm not going to call it workaround solutions, but add-on, add-ons to your treasury management system, right? So mm -hmm. basically, you know, for example, have an RPA tool that kind of pulls data in and out your system to achieve the same. Uh, okay. As an example, so robotics process automation. Um, but but I think more importantly is the, um, there's user groups right of vendors that are meeting annually biannually. Okay. Um, requirements are being shared. Uh, I think sitting at the table together with your vendor in a, on a strategic manner, 
to kind of talk through your needs, think through together, um, and, and ultimately get things on the roadmap to develop. Uh, to get developed is, I think, uh, the better way to go for this. Um, okay. But of course, speed of execution uh, is sometimes important. <laughs> Therefore, um, uh, workarounds, as I mentioned in the beginning of my answer, uh, are sometimes opted for in the beginning. Okay. Super clear. That's good. The vendors are listening to their actual user and implement changes on the go. Mm -hmm. Very clear. What are the so the different types of systems we can find in the treasury landscape? Typically, so I'm not talking about the ERP anymore, but really treasury functions. The functions of the treasury management system or the systems themselves? So the different systems. We're gonna. I would like to make a, a little dive in the treasury management system a little bit down for the episode, sure. but still remaining high level. What are the? Because we can imagine there are as many systems as functions in treasury now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. In the finance industry, we cover this one. But what are the other ones or the systems we can find? Sure. So we, we spoke about the treasury management system, which mm -hmm. I'm always calling the, the kind of core treasury system or solution. So um, that is kind of basically the backbone almost as you will, or the radar center behind your treasury uh, team. Then you have some, uh, let's say, applications that um, interact with, typically interact with your treasury management system, but also with other tools in the organization, which, which we could call specialist applications. A okay. big one within that is a payment factory solution, also sometimes called the bank connectivity hub, um, um, which is basically a bank agnostic or multi-bank uh, mm -hmm. platform that has as a main function to process payments and to uh, retrieve um, account information, so bank statements, mm. being at end of day, intraday. Yeah. And uh, kind of distributing that to the relevant system. So that is, I think, two core applications within what we see in many treasury functions that are, that that have those uh, uh, tools. Okay. Sometimes they're part of one solution. Sometimes they're two separate solutions. That was going to be my question because yeah. you mentioned it when describing the functions of the TMS. You especially talked about this um, retrieving the information from the bank account. But now, so the payment hub do, does that what in a more efficient manner, more streamlined. Yeah. Treasury management systems have basic functionality, basically to always, um, you know, visualize that information, right, in a cash mm -hmm. position worksheet or 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 what have you. Um, and they somehow also have the necessary bank connectivity to, you know, even do payments and retrieve bank um, bank statement information. But um, uh, and some have really advanced functions within that. Uh, but we see also a lot of specialist uh, players there in that domain that offer just. A, distinct solution okay. to do that. And that solution then also, and that's an important nuance, operates and processes company-wide payments, such as, again, our AP, mm -hmm. payroll, so large volumes of transactions that are all channeled through a single solution to the banks. Okay, so it's not only the treasury transactions anymore, but operating the whole. So do, this payment hub will be linked also to the ERP you mentioned earlier that is using. Yeah. ERP or ERPs or other, let's say, source solutions that produce payments. Think about, you know, typical payroll um, solutions such as, uh, um, yeah, there's many out there. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but also, for example, uh, TNL. Uh, um, TNL. Defense tools, uh, for okay. example. Uh, would also produce payments to reimburse the employees and all those things. So there's many um, 
um, yeah, kind of interfacing tools. Okay. Um, with a payment factory or bank connectivity hub. And then you have all sorts of other specialist treasury tools okay. that are uh, sometimes called satellite, ap satellite applications, surrounding applications mm -hmm. that are basically each have their own purpose. Um, and if you want, I can name a few. Uh, yeah, domain, maybe not name of systems, but indeed domain. So in my mind, because we had an interview with the amazing Ellen Lowers uh, on this podcast, who talked about trade finance, and I imagine there will be trade finance visualized tools, for instance. Um, what's, what else will be out there? Yeah, so indeed trade finance, uh, again, multi-bank platforms uh, there, mm -hmm. but also trade execution platforms. Okay. Um, so you, if you, again, thinking about the beginning of our uh, conversations, you have um, a fixed uh, foreign exchange hedges uh, yeah. that you're doing, you basically need to do them in the market, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and typically those are done over the counter. That means directly with a, a bank. Yes. Uh, and uh, most corporations, again, 30 years ago, that would have been done over the phone. Now that mm -hmm. is done uh, in a platform where you basically ask a price for your trade to multiple banks and that is done in the trade execution platform awesome so this trade execution platform will be linked to a numerous amount of banks you yes. ask for a quote and all the banks bid for this specific quote is exactly. the process fully automated then on the bank side as well or is it only for the corporate it, it is so um, what you would see um that indeed most almost all big banks are, are signed up to those platforms okay. and um, they also have their, let's say, machines linked to those platforms so that uh, mm -hmm. liquid trades, plain vanilla trades, just basically get priced automatically. Okay. Whereas uh, very distinct trades, for example, in exotic currencies or large amounts would then be rule based, uh, be routed to a trader that will have to price it at the bank itself. Also, okay. oh, so that's so the advantage of this tool will be to, again, as for the TMS, a little bit eliminate the manual, potentially highly risked workload because you, I mean, human can make errors where machines tend to do a little bit less, not zero, but less. So here again, the, the objective is to get off this over-the-counter aspect and more just automate the, 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 the the trades will still be done over the counter. That's just the nature of way they, the way they are executed. But it's more indeed okay. the 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 fact that you do it all in a platform. Um, okay. So imagine you're you're doing ten FX trades per day. Uh, mm -hmm. Some corporations hundreds. If you do that over the phone uh, with your trader at the bank, the the risk <laughs> of making an, an an issue or an error yeah. or misunderstanding each other in terms of the price is very high, right? So. <laughs> Never understood those pairs, currencies, rates, and uh, numbers, yeah. but yeah, okay, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's a few, yeah, other platforms, eh? confirmation platforms to confirm those same trades, market okay. data providers, and so forth and so forth. So there's a whole suite of applications, and, and that's what I want to kind of mention on this one as well, is that uh, in the past, treasury management systems would try to uh have a very broad scope and try to almost get everything in one solution now we are seeing a trend towards uh trying to exploit the strengths of solutions so basically okay. uh, focus on what you're good at uh, and interface rather work on an, a seamless interface with a specialist solution that is also focusing on what they're good at interesting 
And so that would also mean more, as you call them, satellite uh, systems, applications. So you multiply the cost as well, I imagine, because, I mean, as good as people in Treasury may be, uh, they do not do things for free, right? So if you install all those satellite applications, the cost is higher, but it's still more interesting than having human people do it or having yeah. a, a manual process. There, there is a cost indeed associated to that, uh, and it's again all about you know uh, cost benefits. Eh? Um, where you you know what is your need? There's a, mm -hmm. a number of let's say basic essentials. So everybody will want to have market data in the system, right? Or you cannot account for your trades, um, and and typically those are not also at the highest cost. I would say, uh, but every corporation needs to make the benefits case uh, or business case. Uh, themselves of course for um for for yeah, going for for a solution or not okay and so again going back to what you said earlier it will depend on the complexity if you do one trade per week uh for an exchange i mean so that's just if i want this platform you just talked about it's maybe not worth to implement a digital platform but if you do 100 per day then it becomes relevant whereas i don't know your bank account management tool might be less relevant because you don't have that many also yeah um, Throughout the systems, I, I feel that there is a lot of interactivity, interdependency between the different systems. The ethics for the platforms need to capture correctly the exposure, right? That is consolidated into the TMS. <clears throat> the um, AP and AR that are in the ERP are linked to the TMS and so on. How is this whole landscape integrated between each other? Is it a, yeah, a direct connection? How, how does it work? Yeah, so the Let's say in the middle, you have your treasury management system, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That is then uh, getting uh, interfaces, again, depends on the need to those other solutions. Okay. And those are uh, typically not standalone solutions. And again, it depends on the need, right? You could have a solution, let's say, to capture a money market fund transaction but you only do a handful per month, then you probably don't need an interface. You could do it manually. But if you have that done daily uh, and high frequency, you, you probably would require an interface to do it efficiently or somebody essentially needs to key over data from system to system every day. So again, that depends on the need. But what we see is that th those solutions are uh, normally interfaced um, uh, with each other using various technologies. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. We covered most of the functionalities of the TMS, I feel. Um, what, what we like to ask with Sam uh, on this podcast is, uh, what makes a successful blah, blah, blah. I feel what makes a successful TMS isn't really relevant, but can you walk us through what would a best-in-class treasury department look like, or in terms of TMS and Payment Hub, because those are the two main you, you mentioned. What does it look like, like a TMS that will execute all the treasury functions, completely linked to the other interfaces and applications you may have, the payment hub taking care of all the payments, completely running wide here and making assumptions. But what does it look like in the best-in-class yeah. feature department? So to me, best-in-class, um, there is no single rule for that to say okay. this is best-in-class, uh, first of all. Um, I think what it should do is, is, you know, as I mentioned, the Treasury um, team is typically a lean team right um mm -hmm. but that means and highly qualified people uh typically what what i think would be then a pity is that the last vast majority of your team or people are spending 90 percent of their time 
to, to kind of process 90% of the trans transactions and only have 10% of their time available or no percent of their time available to analyze data, to optimize strategies, uh, to provide values, value insights for the organization. So I think it, it is, um, in fact, people should only spend 10% of their time on 90% of the transactions, mm -hmm. 90% of their time on 10% plus the value add function that a treasury should have. Yeah. That I think is, is the right balance um, um, to find. Um, and of course, there is, you know, complexities that are that are always divert, divert a bit from, you know, this kind of a rule, not scientifically under, uh, I would say, underpinned, but it mm -hmm. is more like an evaluation that a company should make, right? Is my team of 10 people purely tra processing transactions because my processes are not automated, uh, requires a lot of manual intervention, mm -hmm. then you would probably are not best in class for your organization, then something can be done to optimize mm -hmm. this and people could be freed up to do other uh, other things um, that are, let's say, more value add. Awesome. That's so that's fascinating. I it can't I can't stop myself from thinking about the conversation we had with Mike. And it's really it's interesting that talking about TMS, it comes back to people. Uh, what the best in class or however we may call it, treasury department look like is when people actually focus on bringing value because the systems do the repetitive um, task for them. Super interesting. Anything else uh, you would like to mention about TMS? I have a little uh, last section I would like to touch upon, but Anything else we forgot to touch upon and that may be relevant for the treasury management system payment hub? I, I think we didn't mention cash flow forecasting. I imagine there will be some uh, tools for that as well. It's one of the main Yeah, that's really been an interesting one to, to indeed uh, finalize this section. There's cash flow <laughs> forecasting, um, which is uh, if you look at what is on top of mind of treasures for mm -hmm. the past five, 10 years, you would always okay. see cash flow forecasting in the top three. Okay. And of course, that has spikes when crises are around the corner or wherever we are in a crisis. For example, 2008, COVID-19, and now recently, you know, luring recession, let's say. Uh, people are again trying to, you know, uh, looking into cash flow forecasting because, strangely enough, uh, not a lot of corporate treasuries are doing this well, while, you know, cash okay. is basically uh, what uh, is, you know, one of the key elements of, of a treasury management system. Or, team i would say yeah. the processes so indeed for cash flow forecasting um there is also specialist applications a lot of corporations are still doing it in excel and the reason mm -hmm. for that is that you know cash flow forecasting will require data not only that is residing in your treasury management system but also mm -hmm. from other applications in the organizations plus will require manual input from you know business teams uh, within the organization and that's yeah. why a cash flow forecasting tool is often a separate tool that is then also interfacing data from large amounts of data from ERPs mm -hmm. that are not really meant to be in a treasury management system. For example, there's no value in capturing all your accounts receivables, accounts payables that basically are required for a cash flow forecasting in a treasury management system. Therefore, they are separate and they also are you know, more focused on, you know, um, dashboarding uh, and BI tool applications. Awesome. I would imagine that, again, TMS could ensure the basic function of cash flow forecasting, but as soon as you want some more detailed, more integrated 
more precise tool you need to go for a specialized uh, yeah and some and some treasury management systems do it quite well um okay. my only point is, is is the treasury management system the right tool to pull in all this data um mm -hmm. that kind of give you the insights that you want in a cash flow forecasting solution okay Awesome. Mentioning those uh, corporations that might not be on the latest trend on cash flow forecasting is a perfect transition for the for the next section. How do you integrate all those? So we could talk about cash flow forecasting too, but how do you integrate and implement such systems into a company or treasury department? How does it work? Yeah. So it starts, of course, um, with baselining what you need and we have to make sure that you have a common understanding and ground for what you require so um the way that that this is normally approached is you would do a very yeah detailed description on as is not mm -hmm. with the idea to kind of replicate your current state processes because if you need a new system or you need a system your current state processes are probably not uh, the best in class, um, mm -hmm. right? But really with the purpose to understand the scope and complexity that you're dealing with, and yeah. also forward-looking your future complexity, right? So you could have uh, a view on today, but if your company tries to enter new markets and that will introduce new financial risk, you might mm -hmm. have new requirements coming from there. So it's also good to look a bit further out so it's basically defining your current state uh with the focus on scope and complexity but then looking at you know target state where do we want to go as an organization with my processes and what are my requirements thereof and then once you've that all defined and clear um it would be to do an, uh, an rfp or a request for proposal with okay. uh, the relevant parties for you uh, and those are not all the same for all corporations because you have with many software solutions uh, a lot of applications out there mm -hmm. um and then uh, it's it's the typical phase of a system implementation eh? the, the design the build phase uh the testing phase and then ultimately going live all of that of course needs to be well understood how that will work when you start such projects so i think road mapping is very important uh, to be able to understand where you want to go to which milestones you want to achieve otherwise mm -hmm. you basically run a bit in the dark um and that's tricky because then you don't see results absolutely uh, and so forth yeah that's a lot of super interesting information um if i may summarize it so what you want to begin with actually is assessing the current state of your treasury landscape and potentially broader financial and company landscape in general okay what is the what is done now what do we need to bear in mind when we implement the system or select the system to the rfp that you mentioned right after but also properly capture where we want to go then you will have the rfp process which means you give away or you announce your requirements to different system vendors and the system yeah. vendors each and bid for the different requirements you are looking for then you start the implementation and you mentioned testing phase that's that's an interesting one so what's the testing phase you make sure the vendor is actually complying with what he said in the rfp what is it so once you shared your requirements right and you've gone through detailed design mm -hmm. about your processes with the system vendor uh, the system vendor will go off and uh, and and uh, configure this in the system you 
in some cases you might need to support that configuration or complete it uh, mm -hmm. along with the vendor's help uh, or with the system integrator um, and then you start a testing phase uh, which means your end users uh, running basically the to be processes in the system and testing it and that could mean for example entering an fx transaction um, trying to confirm it try to settle it um, uh, import bank statements do your cash positioning so basically your day-to-day -day treasury functions that you're testing in your new solution okay. uh, ideally using uh, real production data um, to see whether it properly functions mm -hmm. and then once everybody happy uh, you I sign do. up <laughs> in a user acceptance testing phase and then uh, that is typically the trigger to uh, to go live uh, with your new system awesome user acceptance testing here you mean okay once we've gone through that period of uh, it's a question huh? but my understanding is once you've gone through that period of testing everything is working as it was meant to the users accept it and so then the go live can occur that's, that's the idea exactly so all users have ex uh, executed uh, successfully all their test cases mm -hmm. there is no defect anymore that is deemed to be a showstopper and that always requires a discussion for some cases. And then uh, everybody signs off that, yes, we are comfortable that we can go live with our new solution. And that's that's what, you know, the last phase user acceptance testing is for. Awesome. Well, one of the last phases, yeah. Um, there's also others uh, which we can dive into if you want to. And so that was leading to be my question. So you mentioned go live. So you do the user acceptance test. Let's call it UAT for the aficionados of uh, Treasury here. You have your go live, which means okay. Now you mentioned also production. Can you can you quickly? Yeah. So what a lot of companies do after the user acceptance acceptance testing is parallel testing. That means okay. replicating your day to day processes, transactions that that are done in real life, right, in the treasury department in your system to see yes. if you get if you get the same results or uh, if you can explain differences. So that is done over a period of and it all depends uh, two to four weeks but it could also be two to three months for some corporations um depends how long you need to be comfortable uh that is i think a, a phase that is um almost always done uh mm -hmm. implementation to be 100 percent comfortable um along with penny testing and i'm throwing in a new term again that means doing a one dollar trade for example on your trade execution platform to see whether it truly functions uh, as it should uh, so it's okay. a real transaction basically so that's why it's called a penny trade awesome and so production will be you get out of the test environment and you enter into the real life environment in the real life environment exactly that's okay. how it often is referred to as production environment yeah awesome um and yeah obviously i have a lot of questions on this that's that's, that's just super interesting so parallel testing you mentioned earlier um when i when i asked about how do you know if, if the treasury landscape needs to buy this system or start having a system for specific functions when you do this parallel testing will there be such a thing as okay we made a business case for this uh, for this system it will make sense because from a quantitative and qualitative aspect so it will make a savings uh, make a sweet time make us win i mean decrease the risk when you do this parallel testing or at any moment of the implementation do you say okay here is what we talked about when we were making the aziz and the to be landscape here we are winning money because look the system is doing better than when we are doing it ourselves is that such a thing 
Yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, so what we see often as well is um, treasury organizations trying to um, typically also have performance indicators, KPIs, eh? key performance mm -hmm. indicators. Yes. Um, that you try to um, also yeah, get some sort of reporting out of your solution so that you can, for example, see the average processing time or um, the number of errors that occurred, for example, in a payment factory. Um, let's say I do 100,000 transactions per year and only 2,000 got rejected. That mm -hmm. means quite a high success rate, right? Um, what is the ambition that we want to go for? Are we seeing uh, a positive trend over the years or not? That you know, That's all very valuable insights that you can get out of your system purely from a processing perspective alone. Yeah, awesome. Um, okay, so that's, that's something that happens. And once you have to go live, uh, you mentioned there is potentially other, uh, other phases as well, but I was interested into, okay, the, the system is live, nothing's happening anymore then. Or is there like a follow-up? Do we say, okay, we've implemented this, but in the one month, two month period, we started to have this bug or this issue. Is there in the implementation period, a phase where you say, I don't know, a hypercare type of thing? Yeah, there is. Eh? So you go live and you you typically then have hypercare. Mm -hmm. uh, as it says it in the world almost, it's a dedicated care for after go live. That means you get access to, uh, let's say, the consultants of your integrator or the consultants of, uh, of the treasury uh, vendor yeah. that you can speak to directly in case an issue occurs that, uh, you know, it can be handled quickly and you don't need to rely purely on the, let's say, standard or uh, customer support. There's also, uh, again, linking it back to the road mapping thing I said earlier, mm -hmm. um, a lot of system implementations happen in phases uh, where uh, companies try to go live uh, with a certain scope of functionality initially mm -hmm. and then have a phase two where they try to expand it. Okay. And there your roadmap is important that you make sure you truly execute on your phase two because otherwise you could be uh, living with a system that you think is not good, but actually is good, but you just never never kind of uh, push through your phase mm -hmm. two and uh, implemented the, your additional functionalities. So that's why uh, a roadmap and a clear plan uh, is very important. Super interesting. Okay, so the functions of a treasury system will be so heavy that you cannot implement, or you likely cannot implement everything in one go. You need to have different phases for different functionalities. You, you can, eh? but uh, you can, of course, it all depends on the complexity again. Uh, okay. Some do it in one shot, uh, but uh, I've seen a lot of companies always have some sort of an optimization uh, mm -hmm. phase where they try to implement additional functionalities, for example, on the reporting side, advanced risk reporting. Uh, to get more out of the treasury management system. And I think that is always an important phase because that's when you truly start, you know, increasing the value and the return on investment of your solution. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. As per our conversation, I guess it's a bit hard to say, but I want to have this question nonetheless. Um, I guess it depends on the complexity, the size of the company, the type of system you implement. But how long does it typically take to implement a system? What's, what time of time? timeline are we talking about here? I think it can be done as fast as I've seen it three to six months, but I've also seen implementations from eight to or from 12 to 18 months and even longer. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, the SaaS solutions are typically quicker to implement because of, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. less ability to configure the system from scratch. It's more, it's not such a toolbox, it's pre-configured 
a pre-configured database for more um, complexer solutions it takes it takes normally longer and the reason is the complexity of the solution and the functionality more importantly the complexity of the functionality that needs to be configured mm -hmm. but also it typically serves a, a larger user base yeah um, and you know there's a whole you know element of change management training which yes. requires a lot of throughput time to get into the organization you 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 cannot do that software uh, installation overnight and expect the people to run with it next day. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a very fair point. And so talking about that, what's the what's the lifetime of such product? Because three to six months and up until 12 to 18 months to implement, then then what? Is it something that you're going to change like your socks or are you going to have to live with this system for a couple of years, 10 years? What are we talking about there? Well, um, there you well, you would typically stay with it or stay with it like for five five ten years right um or, or even longer right um, okay if, if you're happy with the solution and it does what you do yeah. then uh then then um why why changing it right if it serves yeah. your needs you see corporation changing or looking to change when it doesn't anymore serve their needs um and i think what is important there uh and talking a bit against my own shop is that you then engage with an um with your vendor right to kind of truly explain you know those incremental needs and have an open discussion but nothing of course prevents you from going to the market and see what's out there uh okay. see what's new um and there's you know treasury conferences enough mm -hmm. out there uh, vendors are always keen to do a demo nothing okay. stops you from uh, exploring the market from time to time and see what you're missing Okay, and therefore re-entering into this cycle where you start with, okay, that's where I am today, but that's now what kind of needs I've identified into my treasury department, and potentially after having those demos going into an RFP process and so on. Exactly. Very clear. Um, how about we finish on, because here I think we can ask this question, what defines a successful system implementation? To me, to me, a successful system implementation is achieved if you basically, in the very beginning of your project, define, mm -hmm. you know, your, let's say, guiding principles, your objectives, what do you want to achieve as an organization? And it can be pretty broad and abstract, right? We want to know, mm -hmm. automate X percent of whatever. Um, I think evaluating uh, your final product against your objectives, against your requirements, um, uh, is an important one. Uh, what we see also a lot of corporations do is a uh, regularly done satisfaction service, not only about, you know, the job content and, you know, um, um, how people are, of course, uh, feeling within the organization, but also about the, the tools. Um, and I think that's also very helpful to do um, mm -hmm. from time to time. So that all defines, your, you know, whether your implementation was successful. But I think if you manage to implement let's say 90, 95% of your scope, um, mm -hmm. and you had to give in on a number of items, but still, I mean, the large majority of what you want to achieve is achieved, um, then then I think that could be kind of defined as a successful implementation. But yeah. in my view, you should always look to uh, maintain your application, optimize it, think with the vendor about future mm -hmm. state. That's only when, you know, after five years, you will still be, you know, happy with your application. Otherwise, yeah. uh, if you do nothing and you let it go, um, it could be that you, you think it's not good anymore, but you, you actually not looked into it um, too much uh, yourself.
Okay, so it's not only the implementation process that matter, but also how you follow up and maintain your system once it's live implemented and you want to increment and improve. In um, my view, it is, yeah. Super clear. And I guess the whole Shabam is also linked to the roadmap that you mentioned earlier. And roadmapping is key, important, and you want the go live dates to be aligned with the actual go live dates that's were written on paper and happening in reality. Yeah, exactly, and that's a collaborative, um, um, you know, thing. Eh? So that needs to happen in conjunction or in cooperation with the system vendor, uh, of course. Um, the corporation itself, the client itself, um, needs to be well understood. Everybody needs to be behind the plan, and also bought into the plan, right? Um, that we're all behind to execute it um, in time. Um, so that I think is essential to meet milestones and not kind of be left with a disappointment that you're still not live after you know two years or so absolutely okay wow that was uh that was a piece thanks a lot cool anything else you would like to add on the either implementation or the broader topic of treasury systems and systems in the treasury landscape well maybe something on, on digital uh, as a last yeah. point is that, uh, um, of course the tool set that we saw 15 years ago is much broader right now right mm -hmm. so not only more about core systems like a treasury management system, a payment factory, and those specialist systems that I mentioned, but you also have broader tool sets available now yeah. uh, to, to do something. Uh, and that should not necessarily be that complex. Uh, for example, robotics process automation, which is basically you know uh, automating man manual repetitive tasks, is a basically a piece of software that runs on top of treasury management systems or other solutions. I mean, there's a bigger toolbox out there that people need to evaluate when thinking about the solution. It's not necessarily always doing a 12-month project to solve a problem. I think taking a step, trying something, proof of concepting something is uh, is essential these days mm -hmm. to be fast and agile in the market. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Kumit.